turning to the first book of the first chapter of the Gospel of John, our scripture reading and our text will be the same. It's amazing when we study the Lord's work in the scripture, He always uses people. And today we want to look at a specific person that He used to prepare the coming of our Savior into the world. He used a messenger, a harbinger, a prophet. Some refer to the last of the Old Testament prophets as John the Baptist. There in verse 6, the Bible tells us, and it seems in the middle of this narrative, that he says, there was a man sent from God. God sends. Aren't you glad that he sends men? He sends people to do his work. He calls and commissions and sends them. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Whose name, his name means God is gracious. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. That's capital L referring to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. May the Lord open to us the glories of his word by his spirit this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come seeking your face, as we've already asked so many times, but moment by moment we're needful. It's needful that you illumine us we know that these things are, are spiritual, and the Scripture must be shown to us by the Spirit of God who moved upon men of old to pen these very words. We thank you for this record, the Apostle John writing his gospel and this giving us of John the Baptist, his life in ministry. Lord, may we all be sent ones. In fact, you have sent us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We can herald that, explain that, preach it to our next-door neighbor and co-worker, our children, just as we I'm doing this morning before a congregation of believers. Lord, we ask specifically in this hour, and as this service will be replayed, that you would give fruit for the labor of your servant today. I realize, Lord, I'm not sufficient of myself to think anything as of myself. I know without a doubt that my sufficiency is of God. But I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and that you take the words of men and you give them life. Would you bless your word today? Open it to us. We pray with the psalmist, Open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. We ask in Jesus' precious and matchless name. Amen. It's interesting that John introduces us to the person and work of John the Baptist right at the beginning of his description of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I use that phrase, person and work, carefully because we usually only refer to, in that way to the work of our Lord. However, John the Baptist was a very rare character in Bible terms, or at Bible times or at any time. In every area of life, he practically stands out as an enigma. He had a miraculous birth. He had an unusual life. He had an unprecedented ministry, and he died a martyr's death. I want us to look just for a moment at his miraculous birth. You'll recall Luke chapter 1 tells us of his birth. The son of a priest, Zacharias. Uh, there Luke tells us in great detail. Several verses are given over by the Holy Spirit to tell us about John the Baptist's birth 
right before he describes in detail the birth of our Lord. In fact, they were cousins, uh, humanly speaking. John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus was. In Luke chapter 1, verse 5, we, we read that both his parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth, were descended from the tribe of Aaron. Most importantly, we read there in the Bible, so specifically points out that both were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Well, only those who can be called blameless are those that God has justified has cleared from guilt and blamed. It was not their works that caused them to be godly and righteous. Their blamelessness was a, a justification given to them by the grace of God and believing on Him. And then we're told they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And both of them were well up in years. When you study the record, as I did recently again, that even though they were well up in years, it seems as if Zacharias amazingly kept praying that God would give them a son. Now, you and I, we believe in prayer. We, we read this morning, we come before the God who hears and answers prayer. But our praying usually runs along these lines. We pray until God answers or until we feel like time is run out. And then we change our prayers. But I want you to know that true believing faith is not based on circumstances. And I'm sure that, that Zacharias probably didn't stand up in a prayer meeting and say, I'm praying for a son. I don't even know that he let Elizabeth know what he was praying, but the Holy Spirit lets us know what John was praying because when he was in the, the temple serving his time, he went to minister at the altar of incense, which is a picture of prayer. Always rising, the incense never ceased to burn from the altar. Early was it tended to, maintained throughout the day. And there as Zacharias was ministering, there was a prayer meeting going on outside when you read the record. A large group of people were praying for, while Zacharias was inside. And while he was there ministering at the altar of incense, the angel of the Lord appeared by his side. And said, don't be afraid. Well, I'm sure the angel tells, and we see that often in the scripture, don't be afraid because we would be afraid if an angel walked up to us and started talking to us. He was not expecting to see the angel of the Lord. And he tells him, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Oh, what an incentive to pray. What a, what a glorious miracle answered prayer is. This man was praying for something that everyone on earth would say, you're wasting your time. You're too old. She's too old. She's been barren, is barren, will be barren. You're wasting your time to pray for something like that. That's ridiculous. But faith takes hold of the word of God, the God of the impossible, with men, these things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. What is it that weighs heavy upon you this morning that you brought to the house of God? Did you bring it like Zacharias brought it? With expectancy and with faith in the God of wonders? We heard the choir sing about His glory and power and majesty. He will be victorious. Have you been almost too timid to pray for that thing that is so desperate in your heart? Oh, bring it before the Lord this morning. Even while I'm preaching, you go ahead and pray. You can listen to this some other time. Pour your heart out before the Lord. Ask Him to do the undoable. 
Ask Him to roll back time if it need be. You see, God can do what needs to be done. We're not ask, ask, asking for foolish things. We're not asking for things, something that God doesn't want to give. If, if God didn't want to give it, He wouldn't give it. But if we find it in the Scripture and it's not disallowable, is as He played at the offertory what He's done for others, He can do for you. Do you believe that this morning? We sang about grace this morning. We're going to end up singing about grace this morning. It's grace that's brought us to this point, hasn't it? And grace, you know what? It'll be grace that leads us home. And when you set foot on the golden shore, you'll say, grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace has led me home. You'll wonder about that grace when you're there at last. It was pure and sovereign grace that brought you there. John was praying as he tended the things of the Lord. You know, sometimes those who stand in the Lord's stead preparing messages and handling the work of the Lord, we, we refer to ourselves as the Levites. They carried the furniture. They did the stuff. And as we go about, we pray. Often during the week, I come into this room and I sit where you sit. And I pray for you there. I'll touch that place. And sometimes I'll say, Lord, I don't know who will be sitting here this Lord's Day, but you do. You already have a divine appointment. You know exactly who will be sitting here. Would you meet the need of their heart? And that burden they bring with them, would you go ahead and answer it? In your time and in your way, friends, he's a prayer here in God, isn't he? We wouldn't be here today if we didn't believe that. He's not a genie in a bottle. I don't want to... I don't want to lower our Lord to that level that we so often hear people talk about. But He's the God of all flesh. And He asks the question, is there anything too hard for me? And all of God's people said, Amen. There's nothing too hard for you, Lord. Would you come like that today? Did you come to His house to worship Him? Or did you go, come to go through a religious rigmarole? I know you folks. Some of you have driven an hour to come here to worship this morning. I don't want to give you a crust. I don't want to give you a, a broken cistern. I want to point you to the bread of life. And I want to point you to the living water. And I want to encourage you to drink full and long at the throne of grace. Bring those requests today. Lay them before Him. Oh, praise the Lord, while John was... While Zacharias was lighting the incense and making sure everything was ready, he must have prayed. And you give me the liberty to read between the lines just here because I'm just going by what the angel said to him. Is that all right? Lord, would you give Elizabeth and me a son? Would it be your will to give us a son that, that you would greatly use all the days of his life? Would you give us a boy that would... Just serve you in an unusual way. Lord, we'll raise him to do that if you'll give him to us. I'm sorry to say that there are people who prayed that prayer but didn't do it when the, when the boy got here. But Zacharias did, didn't he? You know what? As he was sweeping up and cleaning whatever they did with the incense there, the angel said, Zacharias. And I'm sure he dropped what was in his hand. I'm sure he was startled because the Bible tells us the angel said, don't be afraid. 
I want you to underline in your Bible, if you underline things there in Luke chapter 1, your prayer was heard. Let's just, let's just go back over there and look at it because these kind of things are, are these are Ebenezer's, aren't they? And you'll need to go back, and uh, it's in verse 13 of Luke 1. The angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. Has been heard, is being heard, will be heard. Prayer is as eternal as God is. And if it takes a thousand years to bring it to pass, guess who doesn't matter to him how long it takes? Or how much power it takes? Or how much working on both ends of the line until he gets it worked out? Some of you say, Brother Lamb, I'm so weary in praying. I've been praying for this situation. It just is beyond hope. No, it's not. Are you breathing today? Take a big, deep breath. We're all alive. Some of you might need to poke one or two of you here and see if they are. But I think most of us are alive this morning. And I want you to know, as long as you can do that, there's hope. There's a God in heaven, Daniel said. And I want to tell you that He hears and answers Prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer. Not the on again, off again, sometimes when we think about it, praying. The effectual, that's praying the word of God, asking for the will of God. Fervent, that means pray without ceasing. Prayer of a righteous man does what? Oh, it avails much. What an incentive for you and and me to pray this morning. Thy prayer is heard. I want to... I want to sing it. Your prayer is heard. Zacharias, don't you know he skipped out of there? If men could do such a thing in the the priestly robes. He was walking lighter than air, wasn't he? But he couldn't talk. The Lord struck him silent. He couldn't even share with his wife what had gone on in there. Sometimes there's things so precious and sacred for the Lord, we can't even tell the one dearest on earth about it. We can't put words to it. We try to say, I want you to know what the Lord is doing in my heart. What he's shown me. What I know to be true. We, like Mary, we ponder them in our hearts because they're too sacred to tell somebody else. Your wife, Elizabeth, shall bear you a son and you will call his name John. What a message. Yes, you're going to have a son. Here's his name. A few people already named in the Bible, but the ones that are, you, you, look, you read about them. They accomplish much for the Lord. When the angel says, this is what you're going to call him. He did exactly that. And then the angel said, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. Not only did John have a miraculous birth, he, he lived an unusual life. And I'm not going into great detail, but John just didn't, he didn't walk the, to the same drummer as everybody else. And I don't, I'm not for oddity for oddity's sake. There's some people who try to be peculiar and, and do things in a weird way to draw attention to themselves. They may dress weird or act weird to have this aura about them of what they perceive to be holiness and and it's a warped kind of a thing. But then we see those in the scriptures that, and in life. I, I believe I've known some of the most unusual of God's servants that the Lord allowed to cross my path to show me that, that usually when the Lord uh, uses someone in an unusual way, they are unusual. I've just 
I'll just say that there and leave it at that. The Bible does give us indication about John's dress, and he was a, somewhat of a loner as the Lord was preparing him for that public ministry. Was there ever an evangelist who had such a successful ministry as John the Baptist? Thousands flocked to hear him and, and followed uh, believers' baptism under his preaching as he pointed to the one that was coming after him who was before him. He lived an unusual life. John the Baptist was not only a priest, and these offices are usually, in most any, every other case, except our Lord, who was prophet, priest, and king. John was a, not only a priest, but a prophet. He was also a Nazarite. Now, please don't confuse that word with Nazarene. A Nazarene was someone who was from Nazareth. Our Lord was a Nazarene, but our Lord was not a Nazarite, all right? So a Nazarite, and I'll tell you just briefly what one was. The Nazarite literally means one separated. That word, from the word Nazar, was one set apart, separated. And you can read about it in Numbers chapter 6. That whole chapter tells us about the Nazarite, the Nazarite vow. Some people would become a Nazarite for a period of time only. They, they didn't serve their whole life. And in fact, only three people that we know of, that we know of in the Scripture, served their entire life as a Nazarite. Samuel, prophet, Samuel, priest, Samuel. Samson and John the Baptist. Now, you have Samson squeezed between two very godly men, and that seems incongruous to us, doesn't it? Samuel and John were prophets, and Samson was a judge. The Nazarite vow covered three basic areas. A Nazarite, for the time of his vow, could not touch a dead body, not even a loved one. If his loved one died, husband, father, someone near to the... To them, the Nazarite could not touch the body, and it proved that his affections were all on the altar, that he loved the Lord his God above every other living soul. You can imagine not being able to reach out and touch or help at a time of death of a loved one, someone closest to you, but a Nazarite took that vow and would not touch or come to a cross even near a dead body. Secondly, the, the Nazarite couldn't come in contact with the fruit of the vine, which showed that he, all of his physical appetites were on the altar, that he was self-controlled in every area of life and was controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, and he uh, would not touch the fruit of the vine for the period of that vow. The Nazarite, interestingly, would not cut their hair. It had no. He proved that he had no personal regard for his own reputation or appearance. The hair, the beard, the hair would grow like some mountain man or hermit that you might see. And so, all of that together, these people were certainly set apart. And we'll just leave it at that. He was considered when someone would see a Nazarite in their day in the Bible times, they would know it, wouldn't they? That person is a Nazarite. They stood out, set apart for the service of God, not to draw attention to themselves. In fact, my favorite verse, if I had a life verse, it would be the one we find in John 3, verse 30, where John the Baptist, when he's proclaiming the glories of his Savior, he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. 
There was nothing in John the Baptist that wanted glory or attention for himself. He pointed his whole ministry, as brief as it was, and that shows us it doesn't matter the length of a ministry of his effectiveness. I praise God for long ministries and that God gives some people in some places. John the Baptist, when you lay it beside the long ministries of others, was not long in length of time, but oh, the work that he accomplished and the glory that he brought to his Savior, even to the point of being willing to die on his behalf and for the truth of the Scripture. This is much more than a run-of-the-mill consecration to the Lord when I describe it to you. This was the highest level of devotion known in the Old Testament period. Of the three Nazarites we know of recorded in the Bible, one failed miserably, Samson. The other two were blessed and godly and amazing prophets. Samuel was born too as an answer to prayer, wasn't he? They have some, some things in common. His, his mother, on this, his regard, begged for him to come into the earth and said, Lord, if you'll give him to me, I'll, I'll set him apart. You see, this Nazarite vow usually was entered into or the three that served for life by the parents on behalf of the child. They were in such tune. And, and Samson's parents, by the way, were godly people too, weren't they? They were so in tune with the Lord. The Lord spoke to them and they dedicated their son uh, for him to all the days of his life. He was brought to the temple as a, as a boy to serve, or the tabernacle to serve, and was a minister and guide to King Saul. Can you imagine being chaplain to Saul, having to put up with Saul every day, all day long? And uh, was used to, to find and anoint King David on the back 40 of his daddy's pasture land and said, this is the one. Not even David's father thought David was king material. But godly Samuel could see through it all and know that he's the one. This is him. Young little ruddy teenage boy. That's him. He's the one. Our Lord says of John the Baptist, and most remarkably, of all that I've told you in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 36, that he was more than a prophet, which is, goes by way of saying, you think he was a major prophet, a, a, a powerful prophet? John, the, and this is from the lips of our Lord. He was more than that. Then he goes on to give the highest compliment paid to a human being in all the scriptures. He asked the Pharisees and those who went out to check John the Baptist out. Those kind of people always have people trying to figure out what, is, how, what makes them tick. What, what is he about? Human reasoning can't explain someone who's totally set apart for the Lord. It's the grace of God that does it, isn't it? You, you can't explain the call of God in people's lives. I always cringe when I see adults point to a little boy and say, he'll make a good preacher one day. And I think that they have no idea. What do they mean by that? They don't know what God's going to take and use. Usually it's the most unlikely people. And so be careful about what you point out in people's lives. You don't, they may have traits and abilities, but what of it? We know a lot of people with traits and abilities who is on the trash heap of life. Be careful about those kinds of things. Jesus asked those who came to him one day, was asking about John the Baptist. He said, what did you go to see? What did you expect? What were you looking for? He asked the messenger sent from John who was now in prison because of his fearless preaching. Not many people go to prison because of their preaching. I guarantee you there's a whole lot of preaching that will go on today that you wouldn't have to arrest anybody over. It won't cross anybody. It won't, it won't upset the sinner. It won't, it won't upset the self-righteous person. 
It won't violate political correctness. It won't, it won't do a thing. And I don't, I'm not being presumptuous in saying that. But John the Baptist got arrested for his preaching. And uh, he would not compromise on what adultery was. There's a whole lot of preachers that wouldn't preach on that message today. Or even if they came across it in their Bible teaching. Wouldn't upset a, a person, people in their church living in sin. Wouldn't dare suggest that they needed to repent, but it didn't matter if he was talking to Herod or the man next door. Sin is sin, isn't it? John the Baptist exposed it. What did you go to see? A prophet? Our Lord said, Yea, I say unto you, much more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Parents, be careful what you pray for. You might be praying for the one that God has decided is going to do something far beyond what you thought they were going to do. I've seen parents ask for a calling to preach, and that's not what they had in mind. Or they wanted to send him 10,000 miles away, and they couldn't be a comfort to him in their old age. That's not what they had in mind. Zacharias was praying for his son. He was saying, Lord, I want you to bring one, not just for my comfort, not just to say, that's my boy but that he would serve the Lord. And I want you to know that children are in heritage of the Lord. Some of you need to come on Sunday nights. I'm preaching about that. It'll help you out. They're not accessories. They're not status symbols. They're not even to make you look good. They're gifts of the Lord to be sharpened like arrows for a target that he has prepared for them. You bring one into the world and raise them for the Lord. You have no say-so about what God's will is for them in their life. And you better not stand in their way when God begins to work. I will send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among the, and this is the compliment I was telling you about. Among those born of a woman, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. What a man. What a testimony from our Lord. Yes, John truly lived an unusual life. He had a miraculous birth. But every birth is a miracle, isn't it? That the Lord opens any womb and brings a baby into this world takes a miracle from the Lord that all the doctors on earth earth cannot totally understand the majesty and the glory of human life. What a miracle. But then we notice His unprecedented Ministry, And this is our focus this morning. John the Baptist was the first to publicly announce who Jesus was. He's the one, the forerunner, the announcer, telling all those in an unmistakable way, if you've missed it, let me tell you, this is the Messiah. He's the real deal. God has sent His Son. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's all John did all day long, is point people to Jesus Christ. Not a bad idea, is it? That's what we should all be consumed with. Christ has come. And child of God, our message includes what? He's coming again. Oh, we praise the Lord for Dr. Talley's preaching this morning. I just wanted to stand up and say, glory. We've read the end of the book and know what's going to take place, don't we? My, it's exciting. Verse 15 of our text in John chapter 1. John bare witness of him and cried. He wasn't a soft, mumbly preacher. You could hear what he had to say and didn't have any trouble understanding it. 
He's the one. This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Oh, what a, what a boatload of doctrinal truth is in his introductory statement. They say the introduction is the most important thing, and John just goes ahead and just lays it out there. This is what I'm going to preach about. He's the one I've told you about. He proclaims in that verse the preeminence of Jesus Christ. He that comes after me is preferred before me. Literally, he has priority over me. People were mesmerized by John. He was a curious sight. Some preachers you just go here because they're unusual. And some have voices that are like, you know, know, Adrian Rogers could quote, uh, Mary had a little lamb, and you'd just be in awe over it, just as... The words and the tone of his voice. And they're, they're, God has gifted people in, in amazing ways. And a lot of people went to hear John the Baptist because he was odd. Come on, let's go down to the riverside and watch this guy. He just lifts his voice and let it rip. He has priority over me because he, he was, he coexisted before me. He, does, he takes rank above me and has advanced before me because he is my chief. He's my boss. He is the Lord. John was the last of the old order, Old Testament prophets. He knew two things about the coming of Jesus Christ and those he preached in every message. He didn't have a long list of messages that he preached. It was short work what John was to do. And he got down to his text and he preached his text Christ is here. First, the Lord had absolutely priority in dignity and preeminence. Christ is above all things. King of kings and Lord of lords. None precedes him. None excels him. None is like him in heaven or in earth. That's Jesus Christ the Lord. Secondly, John will later say, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. Now, you know what he's saying there. You remember our Lord washing the disciples' feet. The lowest, last one on the totem pole of a household did the foot washing of guests. We can all understand why. And John was saying, I'm not even worthy. This is not false humility. I am not worthy to take off his sandals to wash his feet. What a picture of a servant and of humility. But don't miss it. Please don't miss it. John declares that Jesus Christ existed before he came to earth. Just what John the Apostle is writing about. He is the self-existent one. He had no beginning. In verse 15, the latter part of that, he was before me. Well, actually, in birth order, who came first? In a literal sense, John the Baptist was six months older than Jesus. So he's talking about something altogether different from that. This one, the one who's coming after me, is eternal. He's pointing them to the the attributes of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. He existed long before I was. Later, Jesus will, will declare, before Abraham was, I am. Well, that cut to the quick because the Jews dated their entire being back to Abraham. I mean, you didn't go any higher than Abraham. We're the children of Abraham. That was their, that was their bragging land. That was their bragging territory. 
We're Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from where all the promises of God came from. And when he stood up and said, before Abraham was, I am, that, that shut some mouths and, 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 and gnashed some teeth right there. And when he said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Boy, they got in a wad over that, didn't they? We know what he was talking about. Galatians 3 tells us that God, the Lord Jesus Christ, appeared to him when he was an idolater and preached the gospel to him. The scripture, seeing aforetime, that God would, would justify the heathen, preached before the gospel unto him. Of course Abraham rejoiced to see his day. He was thrilled about it. Caused him to leave home and go where he didn't know where he was going, just following the Lord. When you truly meet the Lord and find out who He is, allow Him to take over every area of your life, you'll, you'll be glad to go or come or sit or stay. Before, that word before there in verse 15, you need to mark it. It is the Greek word protos. And, and we get some English words from the prototype with reference to time, not just priority of birth, but to uniqueness in the matter of time. Jesus is Alpha and, of course, Omega, the Ancient of Days. How can you call a baby the Ancient of Days? Because he is. He always has been. Ancient is not even a word to describe him because ancient seems to indicate there was a beginning, but we, we fail in language. We don't have the language to describe the eternality of Jesus Christ. We have to call him Alpha and Ancient because there's nothing else to describe one who's never had a beginning. John said that's him. That's why what John the Baptist preached about Jesus Christ, and that's what every true preacher should declare about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the eternal endless one, the eternal Son of God, always existing, who has come to earth to save us. Someone has noted that John the Baptist speaks as the last of the prophets, while John the Apostle speaks as the last of the apostles. And here we have it in one book. Someone has noted that that their words are divine and they are the final amen. Verse 16, and of his fullness have we all received in grace for grace. And this is as far as I'll be able to go this morning. You could hold a Bible conference in verse 16 for a month and never scratch the surface. Of his fullness, that was a favorite Gnostic word. They loved to take words like that and to to adapt their meaning to it. Of his fullness have we all received in grace for grace. The word fullness there in the Greek is pleroma. The sum total of all the attributes and power of God. That's who Jesus Christ is. You add up God, if you could do that, and total Him up. And put Him all in one place, one person. That's who Jesus Christ is. He has all the fullness of God. All the attributes of God, Jesus Christ has. All the power of God. As Jesus Christ possesses, that's why he can say all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. It is. Their words are divine. His words are divine. In Christ is the fullness of God as believers in Christ are given all spiritual blessings. We're complete. The supply of all that we ever need is found in Jesus Christ. Are you looking for something else, somewhere else? You're feeding at the wrong trough. You're, you're, you're like the prodigal who's 
eating slop. You're, you're like someone feeding on husk. We don't eat peanut hulls. We eat the peanut. We don't eat bana- uh, uh, pecan shells. We eat the pecan. You don't drink out of a broke glass that's running out. You want one that has everything in it. Jesus Christ is that one. New, unprecedented, uninterrupted, inexhaustible grace upon grace upon grace. Greater than the vast oceans are His supplies of grace. We sing this morning, grace greater than our sin. All greater than what any Old Testament prophet or priest could ever imagine. Grace and truth are kissed and meet in the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 17 we see that though the law was given, read there, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Moses gave the law because it was given to him. You cannot give what you do not have to give, and it was handed down to him from heaven, and he gave it. He did not come up with it. Moses didn't go up into the mountain and said, "Um, Joshua, I want you to write down some things. These people, we've got to get these people under one line of thought. We need to tell them how to live their lives. Moses was given the word of God. He didn't come up with it. God gave it to him to give to others. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He brought it down from heaven to, to us. When we think of, about His condescension, His coming down, His bringing down, that great gulf that's eternally fixed, but He, oh, the grace that brought it down to man, it had to come down. No grace can be found here on earth. It originated with Him. It flows from a throne of grace, flowing downward to us. These are essential elements. His attributes, His perfections. It all originated with Him. The law manifested God to man. It showed us this is what God is like. We could see there was a God by looking at the stars, looking at the moon and the the sun. We could ascertain that there is a Creator by all the glory and the majesty of what we see around us, but we could not know in detail what God likes and dislikes. What is sin, for example? We may know in a, in, a, in a figure, but not literally until God came down and, and gave us His law. Christ manifested God to, to man as the only begotten Son. The law manifested God to man, showed us in great t- detail what God is like, His perfect, righteous sinlessness. The law told what God required of His creation. The soul that sins will die, He demands. Someone has said the law is a transcript of God's mind. It is the mind of God. And that's why I cringe when I hear people cast light upon the Word of God. You're talking about the mind of God that He's given to man. No wonder you get crossed crossed with it. No wonder people don't like it. It tells us who they are. And you know what? Most people reject it because they did not like to retain God. They don't want that God. They want to make up one. But you can't do that. It couldn't fully show us the law in all of its glory. And I mean, no eyes, not even the Apostle Paul, criticized, don't, don't ever mistake and, or ever 
criticize the law of God. You just show your ignorance. You show your ineptness. The law told us what the mind of God was, but it couldn't truly show us the Lord in His glory and His beauty and His saving grace. It would take a particular manifestation from God to do that. While the law was good and is good and true and holy, it demanded flawless obedience, a continual impeccable compliance in carrying out God's ways. It does not vary. It does not take into account the frailties of man or his fallenness. In fact, the reason we have fallen is because we did not keep the one law that God gave to Adam. The only alternative to to failure to fully obey his law is death. The law never deviates from what it requires. It never will. The writer of the Hebrews declares every transgression and disobedience received a just payment, a just recompense of reward. The Old Testament law could never justify a sinner. It could never clear them. It could point out the sinner's blame, but it never cleared a sinner from his blame. That's not why it was given. The law was not given to justify you and me. There's a little quote that says, Do this and live the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A blessed message the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. What is required in the gospel is given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. The law was given to shut every mouth. That every mouth may be stopped. You will not hear people crossing and cross-answering, cross-examining God in the great day. You'll not hear someone correct him and say, oh no, that's not fair, that wasn't right. Every mouth will be stopped. All that are condemned will know they're receiving their just recompense and reward. Their hearts will condemn them. The law of God will not be able to be rescinded. God in all His perfect, perfect glory and holiness will be there. Crushing every vain thought that we're okay and that we deserve to go to heaven if we try hard enough. The law removes all hope of being able to, in any conceivable scenario, to justify ourselves. We often kind of have a, get a sense of justice when we watch some of those programs where a person is doing something wrong and they don't know they're being filmed and they deny it and then they show that they did it and there's nothing they can say. I want you to know when we stand before the Lord in that great day, there will be nothing we can say. No excuse that will be offered. The prophet Isaiah reminds us, we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf. We all grow old and die. And all of our iniquities like the wind have taken us away, like a wind blowing a leaf away. And there is none that calleth upon thy name. This indictment is to every person. No one would call on him by the... No seek the Lord. There's none that stirs up himself to take hold of thee, for thou hast hid 
thy face from us and has consumed us because of our iniquities. The law strikes fear and terror, or it should, in the hearts of those who hear it. We cannot read the Old Testament law but feel like we're on a, a, a holy ground and feel the earth shake and we, we, we sense our, our, our sinfulness and what a high standard and how holy God is because it is perfect and we are not. It points to a flawless God and we have not one leg to stand upon, no ground to claim, no right to anything but to be paid the wages that we so justly deserved. And those wages is death. Eternal, endless dying. Eternally being separated from all that is good and righteous and holy. From the love and the grace of God. But, John says... Oh, don't we love those conjunctions in the Bible? When you see a but in the Bible like that, something is following that's going to be glorious. You're going in one direction, and all hope is gone. But, grace, 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 God's unmerited favor, our undeserved favor from the Lord, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Oh, Hallelujah, what a Savior who could take a poor lost sinner, set him from the miry clay and set him free. The Word has become flesh and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full, teeming, overflowing with grace and truth. We've heard the truth today because it is God's Word. And we're in need of grace. His unmerited favor. The law showed us God's mercy. It declared His righteousness, but it did not show us His grace. For that we need another revelation. And so God, who is love, who is gracious, sent down His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He became flesh. That alone ought to cause us to praise Him for eternity, that He would even take on a body, that He would lay aside His glory and take on a body and be He who, who the heavens cannot contain and the earth is, is His footstool, would volunteer to be, to be housed in a body. Oh, we ought to praise Him for His incarnation. And we sing of that. We need a revelation not just of our sin or of God's holiness, but we need a, a revelation of what His grace looks like. Who lived out the perfect law of God and who perfectly died in our place. The best and the supreme and last sacrifice for sin. How futile is it to think that we could add anything to the person work of Jesus Christ? And we saw it on display this last week. That you could add something to the finished work of Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Amen, the final word of God, so be it. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, the law's not weak, but the flesh to keep it is. God, 
Because of that, the law had to be given to stop every mouth and to show us that our righteousness stank in God's nostrils. What the law could never do because it was not sufficient to do, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Do you know we have a record, those who are saved, as perfectly fulfilling the law of God? That's our record. Those who are justified have Christ's record imputed to their account. That the righteousness of law might be fulfilled. How is it fulfilled in us? By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's describing those who are saved. Those who are saved walk in the Spirit and don't follow the flesh. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. He created all things, didn't he? hath shined in our hearts. There's no less a creative miracle than when a sinner's heart is illumined by what I'm talking about this morning. And it ceases being theological facts, but it becomes the seed of regeneration that leads to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shined the light, God who commanded the light out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh yes, the law could reveal sin and it did, didn't it? Every time they brought those sacrifices, they were reminded of their sin and the payment that had to be paid. Jesus came to, re- to remove sin, to remove its penalty. He came full, John tells us, teeming, overflowing with all that we needed of grace and truth. But did you see that grace and truth always are joined together, both sides of the same coin? Some want grace without truth. And the truth is you need grace. The truth is you are a sinner. The truth is Jesus Christ is the only way. The truth is you must come to Him for what you need. Not to me, not to a church, not to an organization. You go to Jesus Christ. Isn't that the great news to you this morning that you don't have to jump through any denominational hoops? Are people who are as frail as you are? Jesus said that among men, born among women, John the Baptist was greater than them all. But I want you to know John the Baptist pointed us to a Savior that he himself needed. Even Jesus' mother, earthly mother, has called him my God and my Savior. And if those two esteemed people need a Savior, you certainly do, and I certainly do. He's a Savior that offers us salvation today in himself. Christianity is not a religion, it's Christ. Christ shows us God. He, he's the Word living and breathing who came to us. He offers this now free to all who will come to Him and receive Him by faith. Of His fullness have we all received. Have you received it? It must be received. Remember verse 12. Look there. It says, As many as received Him, bow to Him, come under His authority, receive Him as He is, in all of His fullness. You, you can't make your own Jesus up. He's not, he's not a designer Jesus where you can add a bit of this and a bit of that and you come up with what you want. He's who He is. 
in all of his fullness, if you'll receive him, that means coming underneath his authority. John the Baptist did, didn't he? Oh, I'm not before him. A lesser man would have built a kingdom out of it, wouldn't they? They would have made him Messiah. They would have come behind him with a military force to try to overthrow the Roman government. But he said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not him. He is the Savior. And as a preacher of the gospel, I'll tell you, you don't have to know. I don't, I'm nobody but a sinner saved by grace. But I can show you who you need to go to. I can give you directions. I'm not very good about giving directions sometimes. You know, you've heard people say you go down there where the old storm came through where the, where the lambs used to live, but they moved several years ago, and you turn there, and you, by the time you, you'd, have, you'd have to be born and raised in that area to know what they're talking about. And sometimes directions, human directions. I, this, this week I had to call upon Siri to help me find the place, and she took me like a termite in a yo-yo to get there. I fired Siri yet again. We do not get along. One time she had the audacity to tell me, I cannot help you right now. <laughs> she told me that. I am sorry. I cannot help you right now. I cannot answer any question. And I screamed, why do I have you? Why am I paying for this luxury? I know, know a whole lot, but I do know this, that Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And that grace is absolutely amazing. I can testify because I've experienced it. And I've been forgiven much. I'm a dying man talking to dying people. Every one of us will die. And I'm just telling you what I know. Jesus Christ is the Savior, the eternal Son of God, who came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, if you're lost, He came to seek and save you. Do you fit into that category? He's the Savior for you. If you'll call on Him just now in your heart, Oh, Lord, save me. Hallelujah, I found Him. Who my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings through his blood. I now am saved. To as many as received him. To them gave he the power to become the sons of God. Would you come? Yours is to come to him. He'll do the rest. He's a savior that does the saving, doesn't he? Praise his holy name. Now, our gracious heavenly father, this is your word and we have declared it. Not as eloquently as John the Baptist would have shouted to the top of his voice. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But your spirit can make it loud and clear to that heart that's in need this morning. That he is the Savior. The blessed Savior. Oh dear Jesus, would you save the lost today? Would you put many crowns in your diadem? Many, many jewels in your glorious crown. May that one who may be struggling with sin find grace and help and power and blessing today. May they come in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and may they be bold enough to give testimony of it, Lord. Follow you in believer's baptism. 
and signify that they are giving themselves over to you according to your gospel. We pray in Jesus' precious and matchless name. Amen.